Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Hello and welcome to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red Podcast and YouTube show with you every Thursday. Now, some of you may have listened or seen the interview with Darren Barker that we did three or four weeks ago about the early part of his amateur career. Due to very popular demand, I've had tweets every couple of days saying, could you come back and do part two? So we've said yes. And here you are. Welcome back. I'll tell you what. Thanks thanks again for having me. I would just like to say whatever camera. Thanks for all those messages because they, they, honestly, they were, they were lovely. Yeah. You know, because part of me was thinking, who cares? Do you know what I mean? Who cares about my story? But they, they honestly, to everyone who, who wrote uh, a lovely message, I really appreciate it. Oh, mate. Well, I think testament to, to the bloke that you are. Oh, thank and, you. And the career that you thank had. But you. we only got halfway through, yeah. so we're going to dive straight back in because we've got 45 minutes. Go so on, I want right. to cover as much as <laughs> possible. This is your life, Darren Barker. I need a little red book, don't I? Yeah. Um, right, so we, we finished at the Commonwealth Games. So right. You won the gold medal, and one man that was in the crowd watching was Tony Sims. Mm. And I know that he knew Tony Burns very well. He, of course, was born in the, the flats opposite the Repton. Yeah. So he was an East End guy, grown yeah. up where you would have a lot of success as an amateur sort of a, a few years later. So he really was in the right place, the right time as somebody that specialised in taking good amateurs and making that transition to the pro yeah. style. Yeah. Uh, Tony, I, I was on the phone to him this morning, actually. He's a boxing man. He he knows the sport inside out. He's just a, he's a top, top bloke. And this kind of made sense. He was um, in in business with uh, Tony Burns Senior's um, son, Tony Burns Jr., obviously. Uh, they they had a management uh, sort of stable, so Tony was doing the training, Tony Burns Jr. was doing the management, uh, TBS, and um, because of the relationship between to- the two Tonys, and, well, the three, three Tonys, uh, it just kind of all sort of fit into place. Um, I got on well with Tony. They, they sponsored me a car. Um, and there was there was no contract signed or nothing. It was all verbal and a handshake. And all it was was um, when you decide to turn professional, just come talk to us first. And that was it, really. And it, I, I guess it was it was handy for me to have met Tony before because even when I was an amateur, I used to go to t- the, Tony's gym and work with him because. And we was going to talk about this. I know, but I, I guess what better way to sort of bring it up now was when i was amateur it was completely different it was four two minute rounds yeah. uh computer scoring the so white patches on the gloves had to land and, exactly yeah. so essentially though it was boxing they were two different sports yeah. the scoring was different and the the round format was different it was you know it was completely different it was so more like fencing wasn't it really? it was and, and, and i'd mastered it i'd, yeah. I'd had the well, i say master it. i didn't go on to the olympics or anything like that but i'd i'd done quite well uh sort of um, working out that that format of scoring uh, or judging, sorry, um, I had a real fencing style, like you say, and I was picking the shots. I never really hurt anyone ever. Um, so working with Tony before I turned pro helped because there was um, a transition and there is some differences that need to be made. Um, you've got to start planting your feet more and being a bit more aggressive. But Tony never wanted to change me too much because he knew that most of my success, all of my success had come through from my boxing ability and uh, my natural sort of pedigree, I guess, and my knack of just being able to box quite well. So he just wanted to kind of shape me differently and just Mm. help me 
tran- transform into a better, you know, into a good professional. And I think he'd done a good job. Let's talk about the the sort of early pro fights that you had because yep. you were under Mick Hennessy because he had the sort of terrestrial TV yep. deals at the time. So that was giving you a little bit of exposure. Um, Howard Clark was your yeah. debut opponent. And that was in Nottingham, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Fox's in Nottingham on a undercard. Fox undercard. And just quickly there, the, the why we was with Hennessy because Tony Burns, uh, sorry, Tony Sims was uh, good friends with Rob McCracken. Mm. Rob McCracken had a stable that was under the Hennessy uh, banner. Um in the gym in East London. Um, it was like the class of 2002 or something like that. You had Dave Walker, Carl Froch, Howard Eastman, uh, Lee Meager, uh, Matthew Furwell, all of those guys. So he had a very good stable. So it was it was uh, an obvious sort of move for us to, to, to slip in to that, to that camp. It was great for me. He had a lot of sparring with those guys. Superb sparring with all of them. Um, and it was good, yeah, re- really good start to my career. Like you say, Howard Clark was my debut. Um, straight from four twos into six three minutes. Yeah, that was a little bit. I was a little bit appreh- apprehensive. I remember saying to Tony, "Do you think I've, I'm all right for this?" He goes, "Look, you're doing the rounds in the gym. You're fine, no problem. You know, someone with your skill set uh, and fitness and pedigree will have no problem." And he was right. You know, it went it went the distance. Um, he knew his way around the ring, all right. Uh, Howard Clark, you know, been in there with Fernando Vargas, fought for the IBF mm, title, yeah. a middleweight title. I, or was it maybe was it it IBF? Was it the junior middleweight or middleweight? I don't know, but it was definitely IBF. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember telling my dad, "Dad, I got my my opponent for my debut." And uh, he goes, "All right, go on. Who is it?" I went, "A bloke called Howard Clark, uh, Howard Clark from up uh, Midland sort of way." He goes, "All right, what's he done?" I went, "He's had about hundred of fights. He fought for a world title." <laughs> he went, "What? <laughs> you, you, you're, yeah. you know, your debut, your debut opponent um, is fought for a world title." Yeah, don't worry about it. Like, and so I remember him being really nervous coming into change room beforehand, and um, yeah, they were a bag of nerves. Yeah, I bet they were. What were you getting paid this stage? So again, all verbal and. Um, you know, and hats off to to Mick for for doing for for doing that. I would never um, stitch anyone up or or anything like that. But um, my debut was it's it was four it was four grand. So that was it was four thousand pounds for six rounders, and then my money went up to eight grand, I think, or six grand if I did eight rounders. Right? No, I think it was six grand. It's a four to six. Um, and that's how I started out. And to be honest, I w- it, it worked out all right. Though there's, there's deductions, you've got to pay for certain things. I was also getting 10% of ticket sales. So any, I had quite a decent following. So you're getting 10% of all the, all your tickets. So that sort of tops up your money. Um, and I was, I was active. You know, I was kept busy. I was averaging around six fights a year, which is good. Um, on a, cause it's weird, you know, you're all of a sudden you're, you're in a business, not just a sport. So though you want to be busy, you want to be match fit, you want to be learning and, and improving, uh, you want to be earning. Mm. Whereas in the amateur, I wasn't really thinking about that. Though I, I would, we touched on it, I was getting the £1,281 from Sport England that in some ways I was squandering. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't that was there. Mm. I was on a retainer, if you like, I was getting the money. But it was never really about that. It was the sport. It was about winning medals. But as a pro... Though I wanted to achieve, and my my goal was always winning world titles and titles, I had to start earning, you know, trying to buy my first house and do this, do that. So 
the whole, my life changed a little bit, as did the sport. Mm. Of course, Gary at this point is is flying as an amateur. Yep. He's gone to, to Melbourne and won the Junior Commonwealth yep. Games. Um, so you guys, I guess, after that first 12, 18 months, you've got off to a good start. You're what, 7, 8, 9, I know, as a pro. Yeah. He's won, you know, numerous amateur gold medals at, at yeah. the international level. You've sat down, I guess Christmas for every family is the point where you sit down as a, as a team and you debrief yeah. on a year. Uh, they must have been a couple of really sort of good Christmases. Yeah, you good, you know, really good times. Um, it was a real good era or, uh, yeah, time, a great time in our lives uh, where everything was going well. You know, um, my family... Though have been though they've been involved in boxing their whole lives, they are all, they're a bag of nerves because they understand how dangerous the sport is. So when you sit down at Christmas and you're celebrating our achievements and the fact that we're we're healthy and we're we're around and nothing bad's happened, it was great, you know. And another thing, it was brilliant going to shows like when Gary was boxing, we'd all go mob handed, loads of us, all the Barkers friends and. He didn't lose. It was just brilliant. You know, like you're always going there and uh, celebrating victories. It was great. And um, I I miss those days. I miss that. When I look back in my career, those are the days that I miss the most. Um, the amateur days, going to the shows. Like, I can't, I can't get across how much boxing meant to me and my family and my brother. It meant everything to me like boxing still is is my life I, you will never come across anyone who boxing's everything it's like my legs Mark. it's mm. everything to me and i can remember in your book you talk about when you and gary used to like make the trip to and from the gym or going on the way to yeah. competitions Brilliant. you're you're like you're, you're brothers in arms but you're also wide-eyed you haven't been corrupted yeah. by the world or the business and you're you're wide-eyed and i remember you saying you're taking in like those those old like covered markets and the sights and the smells and stuff and running yeah. the tube together and i guess it's just that's that's what it is being a brother isn't it it's it's just the day-to-day taking yeah. it in being silly being together and, and going through life and a journey not really aware of what the future's going to hold but just enjoying and being in that moment yeah like i've just got back off holiday um hence the i've got a bit of color and i'm a bit tan <laughs> oh. um, I, I watched my kids um i've got three kids but the two the two eldest are eight and four and i watched them together mm. and though we there was 15 of us went on holiday they're just with each other all the time. It's beautiful. I love watching it and it, it melts my heart and I love that they get on so well. And basically what I'm getting onto is it, all the fun that they're having is they're sharing it together. And that's what I was doing with my brother. You know, there was, there was a lots of tough times, but so many great stories and you summed it up perfectly there. You know, the sights, the smells, everything that I was doing, you know, the victories, the defeats, everything. I was sharing it with my brother and that's how you know, we, we're very close anyway, but it brings you closer together. Mm. And if, if 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 I see breaking news or something amazing happen, you want to get on the phone, don't you, and, and tell someone or share it, or oh, this has happened, I've done this, or, that's happened. And I had that with my brother all the time. It was great. And that's what I miss. You know, I miss, I miss that era. I miss those times. Mm. I do. But I look back at them with fond memories. Let's talk about, your first bit of adversity in the fight game, uh, Cormoran McIntosh from Wolverhampton. 
did you get a little bit comfortable in that fight or did he just catch you with a with a good shot i i did uh one i didn't listen to tony two um i wasn't warmed up properly and that was nothing to do with me or tony that they, they changed the running order i might i may have been afloat sorry so i thought i was slipping in just before the main event around Suddenly four or five pulled. exactly bang you're on first so what happened so this guy you expected to beat but ultimately you've gone in a little bit cold yeah, pretty much. I, I remember it was on the day weigh-in, uh, on the big stage at York Hall, who know it, the, 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 who've been to York Hall, know the big stage. Yeah. There. Uh, and I'm go, I go up to Scales, go to weigh-in, and um, I get on there, and all of a sudden, someone brushes past me, and there's this big guy, and he gets on the Scales, and Tony went to me, that's your opponent, and I started laughing, saying, there's absolutely no chance. Like, just laughing, and it was him, shortening me, but he was a, he was a block. You know, he was like, he was just a wall. And, um, I wasn't really bothered. I'd come across all sorts in, in my boxing, but he was, he was, he was big. And, uh, yeah, put, put my wraps on. And all of a sudden, quick, get your gloves on, you're going through it. All of a sudden, bang, we're in the ring. Uh, was winning the fight easy. And Tony would always say, because now and again, I used to like, the, the, the space in a ring was mine. I used to like to dominate that mm. space. Whether I'm going forward or going backward, I would do what I wanted to do. So if you're an aggressive come forward fighter, I would meet you sometimes. I'll take a step back. I'd move round. I'd, you know, that was my area to sort of show off and, and, you know, do what I pleased. And now and again, I would go on the ropes, which Tony didn't like. And one thing Tony would say to me, when you're on the ropes, don't lean back on him. And that's exactly what I've done. I leant back on the ropes. He stepped in with a big right hook and caught me flush on the chin. But, there was a moment in that fight where I learned something about myself that I had heart and um, I had toughness and I was always searching for that, if I'm honest. You know, my, my family, the men in my family are hard blokes, you know, tough building. My, my dad and my granddad and my uncle's hands, they're like, honestly, they're, they're just smashed to pieces through hard graft. So uh, though I was boxing all the time and they knew I was tough, I wanted to prove to them mm. I was tough. So there's a moment in that first or second round, whatever it is, um, that I'm dropped and I get up and that that was instinct you know I got up and I got put down again I got up again and yeah stops him in the seventh round and it was a big moment in in not just my boxing career but in my life and then after that you boxed Paul Samuels yeah and again he had a reputation of being a puncher and given what had happened previously you obviously a little bit wary going into a yeah. fight like that strange I think it was the second round wasn't it, it was early in that fight where he caught you mm. And it was your glove touchdown, but you yeah. didn't go down. And then there was a bit of a melee. Just, just talk me through for anyone who hasn't seen that Well, I that think fight. it was the first round. And what happened, I think that... So it went Conroy McIntosh. Then I won the Southern Area. Yes. So I won the Southern Area. My first title, buzzing. Um, and then, to be honest, to be deadly honest, my first real step up was probably Paul Samuels. Mm. You know, Hussein Osman's tough guy who I beat for the Southern Area. Went 10 rounds. Um, but... Of course, you messed the weight up that I night, messed the didn't re- you? weight up. I ended up running around Ali Pally with a bin bag on, and um, <laughs> you got in the scale. But I beat I beat him over ten three minute rounds. Massive learning experience for me, not only in the ring but outside doing the weight properly, etc. Um, but he had a you know win some lose some record, so I was always in there as the as a huge favourite to win. But with Paul Samuels, he though he I was the favourite, he. he been tested, he'd been there, done it, he'd had some big fights, big wins. Um, and I went into the fight full of confidence, if I'm honest. Um, 
at what time? At which time? So that was a Friday night. I think my brother boxed on a, the night before. It's all again very sort of blurry mm. when I think about it. But Gary had represented repped in London or someone like that in Scotland, um, and couldn't make it down in time. Or it may have been the same night. It might have both been on the Friday night. Yeah. I think it was on the Friday night because he flew down, didn't he? Yeah. So he was he was up there with my dad. So my dad weren't at that fight. I don't think. Again, it's like. I, you, you block a lot of these things out. Yeah. So sometimes it's almost like therapy, these sessions, because you sort of start bringing them up. I'm here for you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, this is a Friday night, so I'm fighting, um, Paul, uh, Paul, Paul Samuels, Samuels yeah. and I'm moving around again, enjoying it. I don't move a body shot because I heard him go, you know, <gasps> and I'm moving around. All of a sudden, I'm skipping to my left. What happened was I, I lift my back foot up, so I'm off, I'm, essentially just standing on one leg and he catches me wasn't hurt at all but I did get knocked knocked down because of the shot so I touched down as I'm down and I forget to, I go to get back up he throws a shot so luckily I managed to get out the way of it and just by instinct I've thrown a left hook because I'm thinking this is still, I've not heard the ref well, you know it's still going if you if you're throwing a shot I'm going to throw one back as well you know yeah. and you know I guess protect yourself at all times Deadly honest, could have been a disqualification, could have been a no contest. Um, and if it had been one of those, it wouldn't have impacted my career at all. You know, it was one of those freak sort of incidents um, that happened, but it all resolved, it all worked itself out. I got the win, uh, first round knockout. It was, a, it was a terrible knockout. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, it's mm. a bad one. Um, but yeah, if I, if I would have got disqualified, I would have made no odds. It was just, it was an instinct. He threw a shot, I threw a shot. Uh, but I've seen Paul since, and we've, we've had a f- couple of funny moments because uh, I was later on in my career fighting for the European title. Someone come behind me and put their hands on my on my face <laughs> like that, and um, he goes, "Guess who?" And so Eddie Owen walks around. And he goes, "It's the geezer you knocked Spark out in the first <laughs> round." I was like, "Ed, drop me out!" And it was Paul Samuel. Oh but, wow! Yeah, yeah. I remember reading in your book about you know when you saw Paul laying on the floor with the, the oxygen over his face, mm. you sort of said that there are those moments where obviously you're in the midst of battle and he's trying to get you, you're trying to get him, and that's all you're thinking of. But ultimately, there are those moments that bring life into sharp focus mm. and you realise that's a guy with a family and brothers and sisters, as were you. And that weekend was obviously when everything changed for you. So yeah. Gary has obviously come back from this amateur show yeah and you've gone for a sort of celebratory night out because you both won your fights and, yeah. and you're you know you're up for a good time you've gone to a dinner show haven't you yeah yeah very close to the gym i trained as a pro uh, once at rugby club it was the prince regent in chigwell and tony sims had put on a show uh, and we were, were invited to go so we sat at a table with him and the family and my brother uh and I had a load of mates. He had a load of mates who were up the West End. Um, so we were on our phone, sort of, come on, you know, we're going to... Should we go? So, yeah, come on, let's go. So we went home. We nipped home. We was in black tie, so we was never going to go up the West End in black tie. So we nipped home, got changed, and um, met met the mates, our mates up there. And we were very close, all of us, you know, though he's a few years younger than me. We were just all close, all hang out together, you know, and have a good time. But it was weird, and I've said this... Um, before, like, um, we went into this club, Strawberry Moons, and we just sat down together. It was crazy, and sat down and had a chat. Was that unusual? No, it was unusual in the fact that we'd been together all night, and um, all our mates are there, so, you know, just 
crack on with them, but they'd all had a few drinks. We hadn't, and we was just like, you know, let's plot up and have a chat. And we're just, just chatting about things. We would boxing, girls, whatever, you know, just having a laugh. And it was, it was as if somebody, I've said this before, like some, someone up there was saying, you know, it's going to be the last moment together. Um, sort of mm. treasure it. Um, and we did, we had a good time and, um, it was then home time and we left and we got the bus home and anyone in London who lives in London who goes in the night bus oh. knows it's a war zone. Yeah. It's an absolute war zone. Yeah. Everyone's, yeah. you know, steaming drunk. Get the taxi uh, if you You've got all it. sorts on there and, um, we had a bit of ag on there. We had a bit of, um, my, bit, uh, an idiot on there started giving it a big one and my, um, my brothers end up chinning someone because he threw a punch at my brother and then I've smacked the geezer and I had a, his, half of his tooth in my hand. You know, it's just... When when you box, when you, when you're a boxer, you know how to look after yourself, but you you have controlled aggression, discipline and respect and we were... We were the... We, I got bullied at school, you know. I was I'm, I'm never a troublemaker, ever, ever. And same as my brother. But we we would never stand for four bullies. So if anyone's giving it the big and we'll we'll put you straight back down to earth. And mm. we did, and we got kicked off the bus. We had to get another bus. I thought it was a pain in the ass. Uh, but ended up going going home, and my brother then started saying, "Look, I'm going to go and uh, see Jessica, his girlfriend at the time, up in Leicester University." And I went, "Yeah, we'll go in the morning." Because I think I'll go now because he hadn't drunk anyway. Um, because I've got up there now. I went, don't, but don't bother. Because I was living with my nan and granddad because there were mm. so many in the house. Uh, my brother, uh, who had his missus and his son. Uh, and then you had my brother, my sister, my mum, my dad. So my nan and granddad lived around the corner, literally a stone's throw away. So I jumped in with them against my nan's wishes. <laughs> um, so my, I said to my brother, do me if I go in the morning. He goes, all right, all right, all right. So he's opened the door and he... I've got. I've walked off, gone to my nan and granddad's house, and he'd he'd gone up there. Um, I was woken up in the morning by my granddad, and um, like I say, my family are really big big warriors, and um, I I feel bad at the time. I, I felt bad when I look back at it because I I assumed he was fine. It was just like you know. You I said s- he was a deep sleeper as well. Yeah. So you thought he was a, a sleep to start with, didn't you? Yeah. I just thought you know. Everything, I just thought. Everything would be okay. It's typical Barker family worrying, and he goes quick. He's in the hospital. Well, then I start thinking, oh blimey, this is serious. And I jumped in the car, started driving up, got to the M1, and it was standstill. And I knew, I knew something bad had happened. Went up the hard shoulder, and nearly had a row with someone who wouldn't let me go past because they thought I was just trying to beat the traffic. Um, got to the hospital, and they were new. I said, we're, we're Barker's and we're not like going in see my mum and dad and they just said he's gone and that was it that, you know that was it you know it still still does me now you know when I talk about though it's um, it can be it can be therapeutic talking about it but it's still hard mm. it's still you know still it's still very still very raw after 13 years you know 13 years is a, is a long time yeah. for people 
living a sort of a, a normal happy life but when something like that happens yeah. time condenses doesn't it and i think unless yeah. you've been in that position you don't necessarily understand well just life life will never be the same you know it has never been the same and there's been some real good moments but moments that i've wanted to share with my brother mm. um but i've not been able to and it's you know life's life's brilliant life's great there's, there's so much to celebrate in all of our lives but it's it's very difficult as well you know, not a day goes by that I don't think about my brother and wish he was here and wish I could turn back the clock and have stopped him going up there. And But he was his own man. And there's not a great deal I could have done, mate. So for those people that are hearing this for the first time, and there will be some people, um, he was in a, an accident on his way to, to Leicester. Yeah, I'm assuming, and I'm guessing, that he'd fallen asleep behind the wall and crashed and died... Died pretty, pretty soon after. And, um, because you saw him, didn't you? Yeah. He was in the next room. Yeah. And, you know, my life changed forever. It was, it was crazy. It was going so well. Like you say, on Christmas, everything was brilliant. And I didn't want to see my brother. I didn't want to see him dead. And it was just horrific, you know, not because of how he looked. It was just seeing my, my brother there, lifeless. And, um, I, I was talking to mum and dad and I caught a glimpse of him in the next room and um, it wound me up and I ran out and I punched the wall and the hand that I'd already smashed, punched the geezer's face in with uh, and my hand was in a bit of a bad way and I was crying my eyes out. I was, you know, I was, I was crying my eyes out and thought, look, I've seen him now, let me go in there and I just held his hand and, you know, I was felt like, he was going to come back because he looked, he looked, he didn't look banged up. But anyway, you know, that was that. And yeah, it all, it all changed. My life changed, you know. So uh, seven or eight months in the wilderness after that, I yeah. think understandably. In fact, a little longer. Yeah. Um, I guess you couldn't even think about boxing at that point. Nah, nah, no. I, um, I just... Um, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what, I don't, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Just seeing our, the family crying all the time. Everyone was upset. We just lost, you know, someone so important. Um, yeah, it was just, it's just a, it's just a big blur. You know, I was going out all the time, abusing myself, just, just drinking a lot and staying yeah, out. And- yeah, I was just, just, I had no respect for anybody but most importantly for myself i just i just i'd given up i was just like you know i'm gonna it was it was in some respects and not in such a dramatic way i don't know if anyone's seen afterlife of ricky gervais it was something like that it was like well i'm so depressed and i'm so down that nothing matters i'm gonna live how i want to live and i just went like in that case i was drinking too much i was fighting i was just just being it like just I don't know, like, it was just, it was crazy. Mm. It was an horrible time and um, went to Las Vegas because one of my brother's best mates moved to San Diego a couple of years before and we'd always been in contact and he he took the news really badly. Uh, so I said to my other brother, Lee, and uh, my brother's best friend, Gary's best friend, Daniel Stone, uh, let's go to Vegas. I, I sold my, uh, I had a Mercedes, sold it, or five grand for it. I said, look, I'll book up, let's go, let's get out of here. I've got to get out of here. Um, booked up Vegas for us three, went out there, see Ali, uh, the mate, and 
who was in a bad way, all hugged and it was kind of good to get away, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was crazy. I had five grand and I, I like, so mad thing. The luck I say, I was, I had no respect for myself. And one funny story was, um, I'd never, I'd never touched drugs in my life. And someone, uh, that alley was, a uh, in America, as you well know, a lot of them smoke a lot of weed. So I went, go on, I'm going to give me some of this. Go on, give me some. And I'd never touched it before. So he, as he's rolling it, he basically, I remember sitting in the car, was in a car park, and he cut this uh, cigar and he emptied it. And he put this uh, weed in it, or whatever it was, I don't know. And he rolled it. As he's doing that, he, he put a little bit of it in this little pipe thing. So I went, go on. So I started uh, sucking on this pipe, and I'm going, and nothing's happening. I'm thinking, I'm nothing. This is a load of rubbish. This, why do people do this? So he's giving a thing, and I'm smoking it. Nothing's, nothing's happening. All of a sudden, it's hit me like a ton of bricks. I kid you not. And I went to my brother, Lee, I went, do me a favour, swap me, I'm banging trouble here. <laughs> I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble, I don't know what's going on here, but this, this is, this is weird. Oh. So he's got, I've got in the back and they've gone, right, let's get something to eat. And oh, I've seen a weird light flashing by and I'm like, what is going on here? I went, they stopped at this place called In-N-Out Burger and, uh, They've opened the door. I went, let me out, let me out quick. I feel sick. I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm out of it. I, I couldn't even walk. And they're all filming me, laughing me. And I'm going, Lee, I, I'm in trouble here, mate. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm in trouble. And um, I remember waking up the next day. Like, I, I thought I was like, my friends and my brother would, would tell you the story. It's really funny. Like, I was saying, like, you know, that's it. I'm gone. Tell mum and dad I'm, I'm not coming home. I'm going like, like, to stay here. I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> And then the next day I woke up and I was sort of, I was back, but I still was a little bit. Really? Uh, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I never, ever touched it ever, ever again. It was like a, sort of a blessing in disguise. But yeah, we had a good time there, you know, and then come back to reality, you know, to come back home. Spent spent the lot, spent the whole Mercedes out there. Blimey. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell you what, we'll pick up from this in just a few moments' time yeah. and we'll move on to some of the big fights right. on your comeback. Um, you're listening to and watching TKO uh, on Joe together with 32 Red. You can download and subscribe via the usual channels. Uh, this week, former England rugby captain Chris Robshaw sat down with James Haskell to talk about England's disastrous World Cup campaign in 2015. He also shared his tips for the upcoming tournament. That is available uh, to watch and listen to right now, House of Rugby. Uh, right here, Right here, though, on Joe, uh, you're listening to TKO uh, with Darren Barker, um, together with 32 Red. So, Tony must have been instrumental, Tony Sears, yes. in getting you back on track. And, and I mean, given what happened, to be back in the ring 11 months after Gary had died, yeah. it's pretty remarkable when you yeah. think about it. Well, when you think about what happened the first five, six, seven, eight months, yeah. it was, it was, um, it's so hard to cram all of this in because so much happened. I know. But but I basically went to the gym, hit the pads with Tony, started crying. So I said, I can't do this anymore. Had a little bit of a break, went back to the gym, started hitting the pads with Tony, getting upset again, all the memories. At, what at which time Tony had spoke to his mate about me seeing someone he had seen. He was a, Tony's friend was a recovering alcoholic, been in, uh, I think he was, uh, but he'd been in trouble, etc. And wanted me to see the guy he had been seeing. A therapist, but seems like a really strong word for me. He was just like, um, I don't know the word. Like, uh, Counselor, maybe. Counselor, but it life seems coach very. Or... Life coach, yeah. They see, it seems very. I don't know, it's like a very... Do you think sometimes, 
I think men especially feel like with with mental health problems, whether it's yeah. depression, recovering from from a loss of a loved one. Yeah. The word therapy or therapist, everyone thinks maybe that's, that's maybe that's it, mate. Yeah, yeah. It, people think it ha- something has to be so bad that you have to go. Yeah. Sometimes it can just be a way of getting your life in check, reassessing yeah. your priorities, and having someone that can get you back on track where you need to be. Yeah, look, just quickly on that. Look, we we go to the gym, we work out, but not um, not nearly enough of us are working this. Yeah, this is the most imo- important organ or whatever it is that we've got to be tuning into and looking after because it, it's instrumental in in our everyday life. You and, know? The, and your point, and for, for those, uh, producer Jack just made a good point, for those that are listening, you're pointing to your head and your brain. Because my head and my brain, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, um, we've got to start looking after this and that's exactly what I've done. Um, I went and see this, I, I agreed to, to Tony to go and see this guy. Um, uh, we, to be, I agreed, but I didn't, actually believe i'd go but they knew that so tony's friend drove me to the door <laughs> put me in the door and sat me down and i'll never ever ever forget it he sat down and like I, i'm gonna i'm gonna say this guy's name the, the therapist guy, he's called bruce lloyd and i have to say it because he needs uh he needs me to he needs to know how instrumental he was in getting me back on track he was a special man and, I, and i'll forever be grateful to him um because there was no money exchange or anything he just wanted help and uh i sat down uh tony's friend left um and again i don't know about saying names etc but also tony's mate if he ever sees this you know who you are and i and i appreciate you an awful lot um sat down in the chair and bruce just looked at me straight in the eyes and just went calm down calm down and I just burst out crying floods of tears floods of tears Uh, and then what followed was an extensive sort of uh, two one two a week go see him get the train from High Barnet Northern Lion to the Oval sit down with him and it was just the way he would describe it is clearing out the wound for me to be able to heal I have to clear this wound out and the wound was uh, what happened to my brother and it was never letting go it was just learning how to manage with it it was learning to stay present um, and and learning how to look after myself there was never any um, talk about me getting back in the ring Um, and then it all just fell into place but yeah Tony Tony Sims Putting all that together was, yeah, instrumental in me getting me back in the ring eventually because there was a void and between me uh, and Bruce, we come up with... That. So, by the way, some of these sessions where it was like um, whoever's seen Goodwill Hunting, uh, it was like... Robin Williams Matt, and Matt Damon. Damon and Robin... It was exactly like that. Very similar uh, sittings. You know, I'd never seen the film till after, later on. And it was very, very similar, um, our sessions. And, and going back to boxing, it was... Right, look, we can't do this with Gary, but we can do it for him. So I then started thinking, look, it's all I know. It's all I can do. It's the only way I can earn money. But even better than that, I can start dedicating things to my brother. So every time I win a fight or win a title, we'll we'll dedicate it to Gary. And his name will then continue to live on. Though he won't be able to fulfill his uh, ambitions and would have achieved great things, I'm sure... Though we weren't ever able to do that, I could do it through my success. Um, and that's exactly what I've done, mate. Hmm. You went on, of course, Commonwealth, British. Oh, that's your phone for no, anyone listening. Sorry, sorry. Uh, go through them. As long as <laughs> no one rings. Go right. through them like you can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, me too, mate. I didn't even know your number until last week. <laughs> um, Commonwealth, British, yeah. European champion. 
The hip injury, and, and I'm only skipping through these, not because I don't want to, but I think time-wise, I want to get onto the two kind of big fights that define yep, your yep. career. Um, you, you said you're a double European champion. You had that timeout a couple of years after that. Yep. Those five years between sort of 08, 09 and, and 2011, 12, 13, how did your recovery period go alongside boxing? How did you start to feel? Did did you ever find a new normal whilst you were boxing? And I started to feel... Um, it, I started to feel good about boxing again, if I'm honest. You know, I started slowly starting to enjoy it because I started enjoying... Um, I, I, in some ways, enjoyed the victories more because... They meant extra to me. Mm. I was getting, I was able to dedicate them to my brother. So victories was almost um, magnifying a little bit. Then uh, they were uh, a bit greater. So every time I won a title, so when I won a Commonwealth title, it was um, it was fantastic. And though I'd had uh, my comeback fight against a guy called Greg Barton, it was for mm. no title. The second one was a Commonwealth title. So straight back into title, I won the Commonwealth title. And uh, the interview after the Greg Barton fight, I didn't get emotional but after winning the Commonwealth I did Ben Crampton right Ben Crampton yeah an Australian I'm beating Australian I I got upset in the interview after the post fight interview because I'd done it I'd, I got I, it was the first title I dedicated to my brother mm. then it went on to the British I won that which was a real uh, personal achievement I've always wanted to win the British uh, but again to my brother then I won the European twice the reason I won it twice because I won it, had to vacate it because of injury and won it again. Mm. So I had two European belts, again, both dedicated to my brother. So it was fantastic. And then that brings us to the Sergio Martinez fight. Yeah. He was pound for pound, what, top three at that point? He yeah. He was a golden boy of the WBC. Yeah. He was the king of a knockout City. against Paul yeah. Williams. Oh, you know. Mate, I mean, and ultimately that presented you with your first crack at a world title. Yeah. So you've gone to Atlantic City, and I get the feeling there's a little <clears> bit of disrespect for you in, in that they, they treated you as a kind of an unknown who hadn't really earned his shot, and they didn't know who you were, and all this yeah. kind of press were a bit like, who's this bloke? Yeah. But but you'd won every belt you could have won mm. in the build to that. So it wasn't as if you were an unworthy challenger yeah. or hadn't hadn't gone through the right routes to, to get your shot. Yeah. Um, did you like being the underdog? Yeah, I did. It, 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 was, it was new for me, but... Um, yeah, they. I didn't get the respect I probably deserved because no one wanted to fight Martinez. So it yeah. was just this guy who's unbeaten. He'd done well in Europe. Um, they were out of options, really, and so awkward though, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, oh, ridiculously awkward. But uh, it was a pivotal moment in my career. You know, I was struggling. I'd already had one hip operation mm. done at this point, so I'd, I'd, I'd had my left hip done. Um, and I was doing all right, to be fair. It, it, it done its job. But what I was doing, I was overcompensating on the right, uh, on the left now, um, masking the pain that was on the right. Uh, and I remember the last run before the Martin, that the training had basically finished. My hip went on the right side. So, you know, just fast forwarding quickly, when people say to me, you know, you you threw the stern fight, blah blah blah. Um, you, you was injured going into fight. I was injured going into the Martinez fight. I was injured, mm. injured going into previous fights. Mm. It's, it's crazy. Um, but that's the nature of the sport. Um, so my hip went and... That's and my phone. Is that your phone now? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, one, one. Yeah. Um, yeah, my hip went and I went into the fight. But it was uh, uh, an amazing experience, a surreal experience. Um, um, 
a special moment for me going to the States, boxing in America, top of the bill in a boardwalk hall, which had many great fighters come out of there. You know, it made Gatti famous pretty much. Mm. Um, and yeah, I like it was, it, it was very awkward and the, it was going to plan. It was to frustrate him and get the crowd against uh, on his back, you know, and turn the screw after the midway point. Because it's very like, obviously, Southpaw throws the jab from the hip, very yeah. spiteful. Mm. Sets a lot of traps and baits you constantly with his head Always. leaning in. Always. And you didn't take the bait for a long, long time. No. But on the odd occasion, where hard not to take the bait when someone's constantly leaning in. And on the odd occasion, you'd get get kind of stung with yeah. the left hand. That's my game. That yeah. was my game. Yeah. Like I was, I'm from the best amateur boxing club in the country, Europe, possibly the world, Repton. Churned out uh, champions left, right and centre. They, they had something in the water there because they had southpaws coming out of every door there. Um... So, I knew how to fight these guys. This mm. was, you know, it weren't... Uh, that's why I was confident going into the fight. Didn't know how, how I was get on. If I'm dead honest, how much I thought I could win the fight. But I was confident going in there with a southpaw. And that, you know, leaning in with your head, it's just... It, it was brilliant to me. And yeah. uh, I busted his nose and everything was going to plan. But he turned the screw. He showed me what it was. It meant to be a proper champion. Um, he perforated perforated my eardrum in the 10th I couldn't feel my legs in that the was, 11th yeah. it hit me with I think my legs had gone before and I just sort of they just give way it was like a feeling of not having legs I just sort of dropped but uh, yeah crazy like mm. I sort of remember being there and being aware of what was going on but I just could not feel my legs do you know what it, and it's in the 10th round because I was going to actually ask you about that you can just see when he catches you with a shot and it's all of a sudden your movement stops and you go mm. tight guard and he's yeah. still not sure whether you're hurt or not but but there's definitely a point where you go flat footed yeah. and there's also a couple of little tells which you, you know from watching other fighters in the 11th <clears throat> anytime there's a bit of a distance between you you just Try and bounce a little bit, which is the the little telltale sign that a fighter is trying to see if he can get the feeling in his right, legs. Right, because uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly, if you know your stuff, because that was spot on. Because I'd experienced perforated eardrums through my hundreds of painful rounds with Carl Froch. Yeah, he <laughs> used to perforate my eardrums like you can't imagine. <laughs> like, so I knew all about these yeah. these this injury, and that's one thing I used to do. I used to jump up and down, try and get the feeling back. Um, and this one was horrific. The, the doctor afterwards said this is one of the worst perforations I've ever seen. It's a massive, huge hole in my eardrum. Um, but mm. my stock went up. You know, my stock yeah. went up, not just in the States, but uh, in boxing. Uh, and lots of people, lot, lots of opportunities come my way after that. The Chavez fight, there was lots of people wanted to jump in with me because I'd done so well. Mm. Uh, they wanted to do better than... Martinez did against me. Yeah. So if they could get me out there before the 11th, that's the sort of way I was looking at it. So there was big money fights being thrown at me, um, which were tempting, if I'm honest, because I was kind of content at that time with what, what I'd achieved as far as titles are concerned. European twice, Commonwealth British, you know, what I'd done as an amateur, you know, I'd done the lot. Of, and I fought a marquee, pound for pound, uh, future Hall of Famer. Mm. Um, so he... So he- Stopped you in the 11th. Yep. It was a kind of almost, it was two combinations close together, both upstairs, and they both finished on a sort of really whipping kind of right hook yep. 
from, from Southport. No, not, didn't, didn't look like a big shot. No, but just, but just above the ear and clearly yeah. where you've been getting perforated and yeah. hurt and you went down and you were actually holding your head in, almost in pain, which is yeah. unusual. Normally, you see people either chinned upstairs and they, they look a bit disorientated or yeah. they're holding their body because they've been mm. hurt, but you're actually yeah. holding your head in pain yeah. and you didn't make the count. And so that was, that was the end of that. You had a couple of comebacks comeback fight Kerry Hope was it yeah funny enough after the Martinez to the Kerry Hope fight was the longest layoff I had yeah I had my second hip done my right hip um and again that coupled with the fact that I was content was arming and arming about fighting ever again if I'm honest you mm, know really? I'd, I'd achieved uh I'd managed to dedicate what four titles to my brother um uh, done all right but that that carrot's dangling, and you know from that performance that a couple of little adjustments, a few things go your exactly. way, and you've got. And it. there was a void. I remember Tony going into the gym and, and playing a massive part in my career, saying to me, "He said a name. I can't remember the name. I want to say the name anyway because it would sound like I'm being disrespectful." But he said a name and said, "Do you know who that is?" I went, "No." He went, "Well, he was a British Commonwealth mm. European champion. You don't even know his name, and it's going to be the same. People aren't going to remember you." Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, that's true." You know. It wasn't so much people remembering me, but if they don't remember me, they're not going to remember my brother. So I was like, right, we're going again. Um, and we wanted to go back into a, 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 a tough fight, and Kerry Oak was. But I had a change of attitude, and um, I thought, this is my last crack now. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it everything. And Atlantic City, it was again. Again, yeah. You're with Eddie Hearn at this point as well. Um, you've gone over. Did you feel any sense of... Um, not misgivings, but any sense of anticipation because you'd had a negative experience in Atlantic City no, before, or were the, you looking forward to going the back? The complete there? opposite. It was a redemption for me. It was uh, going back to the place where I'd lost, and you know, I kind of called for AJ to go back to New York uh, for the same sort of reason, if I'm honest, because um, it was a great feeling. Though it mm. wasn't the same person, it was all the same. Um, arena but it was the same place where the same boardwalk I had to walk down you know the same places I was popping into uh, so a lot of them a lot of the memories were coming back but I was full of confidence full of confidence and I and I truly believed I was going to win that fight I had a bit of a wobble the, the morning of the fight I went a bit negative and I had a chat with someone and they pulled me back round but um I still cannot believe it. I still cannot believe um, I'm a former world champion. I cannot believe it. Let's talk about it. Daniel Gill was the man in your way. Yep. He had the IBF middleweight title. Yep. He'd had four successful defences of it. He was a unified was, champion. He was against Felix yeah. Sturm, of course. So a proper, proper champion. Australian, so he had, yep. a tra- he'd had to travel a bit too. Atlantic City, different venue this time. Um, the The ring walks... Michael Buffer gets your name right this Got time. Name right, yeah. And I think most people know by this stage that in the Martinez fight, he called you Darren Baker and obviously yep. you're good friends of him now, yep. so you joke about that. Yep. Buffer's in the ring and and it's go time. Yeah, I was in the zone. There was a lot... Uh, um, I don't know if I've ever spoke about this before, but a lot went on back in the changing room. Uh, I used to never go to the fighter meetings, uh, the rules meeting, whatever it is, and um, the rules meeting, that's it, where you try on the gloves. Tony used to do it. He's tried on these two pairs of Lonsdale, Lonsdale gloves. Yeah, lovely. They're fine. Excuse me. They'll do the job. Gone in the changing room. He's wrapped my hands. I put, it's time to put my gloves on. Put the gloves on, and they didn't really fit properly. My thumbs are longer than Tony's. So it was like, 
Anyway, I was having aggro with his gloves. That to get the other pair, the other pair were worse. So I'm thinking, oh no, this is all I need. There's no other gloves. I have to wear them. So my thumbs are right cramped. But luckily, it's one of those things. Once I got to the start of the ring walk, completely forgot mm. about it. So it was all right. Uh, but at the time, I remember thinking, this is a nightmare. And if you're having a bit of a Because I was hitting anyway. the pads and I could feel it hitting my mm. thumb because it was so tight against it. And it just was like, I'm a perfectionist. I want things to be perfect. Yeah. And it, what, that was far from. But got to a ring walk and um, it was uh, U2. I still haven't found what I was, you know, I've been looking for, <laughs> uh, whatever it is. And, it, yeah. you know, I remember listening to words thinking, I haven't. I'm that. I'm this close, I'm this close. I got in the ring and uh, Daniel uh, Gill's turn to, to to get in the ring. And I'm already in there. And it's quite weird. It was only the second time that I've ever gone into ring first. It's kind of weird waiting for an opponent to come in. Um, but as I'm doing so, there's a big uh, Aborigine oh. playing the didgeridoo. He's still playing now. He's, he went on for, honestly, it was the longest, um, <laughs> I mean, it was the longest passage of, of music I've ever heard in my, my life. Um, but it wound me up. It took me from, you know, I was always kind of chill, but it gave me a bit of fire in my, my belly and um, an extra bit of fire. He got in the ring, Buffer announced me correctly, and that was it. And I remember the, the fight, the first belt going, and like, I used to love boxing. I was touched on it before about sussing my opponent out. And he was very hard to work out, and he was a lot more awkward than I anticipated uh, in the build-up. And I was like, well, you know, you're quite good on your feet and mm. you're making me feel fall short but it doesn't really happen um, so I changed about halfway in the, the the first round I thought right I'm just going to go for it I went back after the first round and said that Tony I'm going to have to go have it with him here because I'm fit um, I'm strong and I know I can I can take his shots and I can outwork him and that and he, Tony trusted me he went yeah alright well look don't do anything silly don't drop your hands don't do this and just crack on then I just wonder whether in episode one, for, the, for those of you that have heard and, and watched it, that bit of advice that Tony Burns gave you before the Commonwealth Games final back in 2002 yeah. about leave everything in the ring because you don't want to have any regrets. And all of those things in your life that you'd absorbed subconsciously, whether it was the no guts, no glory sign above the door of Repton mm. and the little bits of advice and the lessons you learned from, from being put down in, in those early stages of your career to yeah. falling a little bit short against Martinez... <laughs> You sit down after round one and you just think, do you know what? This could be my last shot and I'm going to oh, give it was everything. Oh, it. it was it. You're, you're exactly right. This is, That was the, the moment where it all come together. You know, all the experiences, them moments where you talk about Tony Burns there. I knew if I didn't win this fight, I never would have fought again. Ever, ever would have got in the ring again. So this was everything. I had to win this fight and I had to make the adjustment. And um, thankfully I did. It, it didn't look pretty, but it made for a great fight. It's a really good fight. Yeah, you know, I mean, it made he, for a good fight. He worked with you, but you were like possessed that night. And yeah. You fought a little differently to to what you have done in the past, but there was a lot of trading, and it was it was nip and tuck. But you always felt like you had the edge. Yeah, and then middle of the fight. <laughs> I mean, it's it's still to this day one of the best body shots I've seen. Yeah, and I've watched a lot of boxing. Just you know, tell me about it. Yeah, it was a peach of a body shot. Everything was going to plan. I was winning the fight. Um, not much in the rounds, but I felt I was winning it and got caught with a peach of a body shot. Uh, my whole life flashed in front of me. <laughs> you know, crazy. I've got my brother there. Get up and visions of my daughter saying, you know, you know, you got to provide for her. You have got to win this fight. And it was just a crazy. Um, 
You hear the moment. crowd as well. Yeah, I guess. like it's just a lot of muffled noise, but it's loud. It's you know, I can hear his crowd, uh, his team screaming and shouting and celebrating. Mad, like nine and a half seconds seemed like nine and a half weeks. It was mad, nine and a half years. Just so much happened in that moment. And again, what got you up? We're going to say my brother. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the final piece in our jigsaw puzzle you know the final piece winning that world title for us for him um and i got up and i was in i was in agony mate i was in agony and uh somehow managed to pull myself together and um because he came straight at you as well yeah because he weren't sure he hadn't seen that shot land so i can tell he wasn't sure but as the seconds went on on the count he knew and i'm kicking my feet i was winded he's in he's banging trouble here um and he come out and he's firing i was that close to getting stopped um and I fire back at the end of that sixth round and there's a shift in power because he's so close to beating me and I'm so close to getting beat where it's almost like I'm still here, mate. Well, if you're right, that, that's all yeah. you've got. Is that all you've got? Because mm. I'll tell you now, if it's the other way around, you wouldn't still be here. And um, testament uh, and credit to, to, that, to Daniel Gill, he stayed in there and he, and he you know, he... He mixed fire with fire, and it was it was epic. And I go back as a kid, and I when I used to play out winning world titles, like I think I said in part one, did, yeah. that was my, that was my that's how I wanted to win a world title. I wanted a, I wanted I wanted it to be in a fight that people would talk about forever. And I, though it wasn't the greatest fight in the world, it was a very good fight, and a fight that I still get tweets and messages daily from people saying what a fight one of my greatest away uh, boxing moments why that's why i got into boxing and i cannot believe it mate i can't believe it but yeah the final bell goes uh i'm celebrating i think i've won but i knew it was close i was the away fighter it was daniel gill's american debut 10-8 for the 10-8 for the round not much in it but sky sports had given me the fight um well of course h uh, hbo had given me the fight um, and I was just telling you back there that when Buffer is stood with his the card there, about to read it out, my brother's behind him. Mm. He was in the corner, so he's on the outside of the apron, and he's seen the scorecard. So he goes uh, 114, 113 to Gil. Or was it 115, whatever, to Gil. Then 116, 111 yeah. to me. Yeah. So he knows, I've, I've got it right, that's it. But he's told my family at the front, Darren's won this, but then it, it horror hits him and he's thinking, oh, I've got this wrong. Yeah. How bad yeah, is that yeah, going to yeah. be? But then, yeah, 114. And when they said 114, I thought, this is going to be a draw then because mm. it usually is. And 114, 113, there's a winner. And uh, and the new. You know, like, what can I say? You know, it's just crazy. Like, my, it has come true. It had come, my wildest dream had come true. The, the, my scenario of how I wanted to win the World Title had come true. Everything had just, it, it, my life was fulfilled. Everything, I'd, I'd done it. And then there's a moment I jump, I'm celebrating, I crash the floor and I'm, I'm very upset. You know, and there's sad tears because uh, I'd let, I'd achieved what I'd set out to do. And it was almost like letting go of my brother. Mm. Like, we've done it now, mate. Yeah. You know, you can sort of... You can you, go. You can go now. And uh, honestly, you can see my hair's... Mate, you're like, telling me. It's doing me. It's like, me. honestly, it... Like, yeah. It it does me now, thinking mm. about it, oh, because yeah, it, it does, was a yeah. moment that I kind of let go of my brother in the sense that we've done it. We've done it. You know, and 
it was crazy. You know, I had one hell of a hangover after. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Six years Saturday just gone. Yeah. Congratulations, Cheers, mate. mate. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. And like I said to you on the phone the other day, the only regret I, I have is is that we weren't mates at the yeah, time. Because yeah. having known you in the last year... You, you sent been... a lovely message, mate. And to all the people that sent lovely messages, you know, it means an awful lot. And I can feel, I can tell by reading them, they're heartfelt and they're, they mean it. And um, I'm one lucky man. I'm so lucky, mate. Honestly, I've got, like, I'm so lucky. Yeah. Bloody hell. Um, you're getting me going here. Right, before we go, because this is the, I think it's the longest podcast we've done, and he's had two parts. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, oh, honestly, ridiculous. Right, let's do 32 second challenge with 32 reds, uh, part two of I Darren Barker. I know the draw. Tony Sims. Legend. Mick Hennessy. Good man. Frotch. Hard. Swear word. You can say. Uh, Conroy McIntosh. Powerful. York Hall. Um, home. Sergio Martinez. Legend. Uh, world champ. <laughs> uh, me. Yeah, like, uh, dream come true. I, I, not enough words. Uh, Atlantic City. Thank you. Retirement. Fantastic. Gary. I miss you. Dan Barker, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Beyond, beyond Cheers, the mate. pleasure, Thanks. mate. Beyond Thank the pleasure. Um, well, sadly, that is it. I think we could probably do about three hours with Darren, but <laughs> maybe we'll have you back at some point yeah. again, mate. But thank you so much. We'll be back. Uh, Flomachenko uh, and Luke Campbell next week doing the Match and Boxing Show. Yeah, looking forward, forward to that, to mate. It. Is he your pound for pound number one? He is indeed. Uh, untouchable. Mastered boxing. He absolutely has. Um, we'll hopefully have him on the show, potentially with his promoter, Bob Arum, uh, on TKO next week. Elsewhere on Joe, uh, Kelly Cates on Liquid Football, uh, joined by John Walters and Steve Sidwell for some great changing room stories. Uh, that's a quite a new series, but check it out. You can download and subscribe to that via the usual channels. Uh, from Darren Barker and myself, from TKO on Joe together with 32 Red, thanks for listening and watching. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red.